The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushduni had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. Communion and Communications Chalcedon Position Paper Number 41 We are not accustomed to associating communion and communications with one another. For us, communion is a sacrament or an ordinance of the church, whereas, quote, communications, unquote, refers to the media, to the exchange of ideas between peoples, to telephones, radio, television, and the like. The fact remains that the two words have a common root in the Latin and are closely related. Communication comes from communicatio, a making common, an imparting, sometimes a consulting of the hearers. Communion comes from the Latin communio, a community, mutual participation, or fellowship. Interestingly, communio or communio depending on the context, can also mean to fortify, make sure, strengthen, or secure. One can perhaps say that communion and communication thus are not only means of sharing, but also of fortifying and strengthening as well of all those who are involved. It is common in our day for men to speak of the communications gap. This gap exists in various quarters. The generation gap is one example. The inability of the old and the young to communicate in certain segments of our world. The gap exists also between the rulers and the ruled in almost every country. The high and the mighty, it is said, do not, quote, speak the same language, unquote, as the rest of us, because their power places 
them on a different level of communication. In one area of life after another, the communication gap exists. Men may live and work close together and yet be worlds apart in their essential lives. The simple fact is that there can be no communication where there is no communion. Proximity and a common background are not the answers. Husband and wife and parent and children can coexist in the same house and have no communication of any significant sort. In one such family, a member remarked once to me that occasional efforts at intimacy were painful because they called attention to the very serious gaps and differences between them. Living without communication was easier. As a result, a fact of modern life is man's readiness to live in isolation from close fellowship with others, because such a life of community means problems and also responsibilities. Many church members are ready to give for missions afar off rather than minister to needs close by. There are, quote, valid, unquote, reasons for this. All people are born sinners and, even when converted, are far from perfected in grace. As a result, close contacts with people are close contacts with sin. Of course, we will all find our own sins to be lovable ones, and the sins of others are for us intolerable. Hence, a retreat from community becomes very appealing to modern man. At the same time, this retreat exacts penalties. Man was made by God to have community with God and with man. To retreat from community is thus to retreat from life as God ordained it. We have the paradox thus of men avoiding community while complaining of the communications gap. Meanwhile, modern education, because it is humanistic, has lost the capacity to further or to create community. By teaching the radical ultimacy of man, the humanistic school isolates the individual from God and society. The status school, normally a great instrument for communication and community, has been highly destructive thereof. An historic communications function of the school is now broken down. Communication with the past. The student who reads Shakespeare, Milton, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Augustine, Anselm, Fielding, and others entered into communication with the past and is challenged, informed, enriched, or stimulated by it. Communication with the past is an essential part of the schooling of man, not only in the formal school, but in the family, the church, and the community. Family life should link the past to the present and the future. Where parents leave the care and the teaching of children to others, a vital link is broken. Similarly, the church's faith has deep roots into the past and is the, quote, faith of our fathers living still, unquote. It cannot live if the past is untaught and ignored. That basic past is the Bible and its history, and it is alone the church's future. If the Bible is simply mine for salvation purposes, and salvation by such people is rather fire and life insurance from the J.C. Agency, then most of the Bible is ignored. At the same time, the language of the basic translations of the Western world, the King James Version in English, is a language which also opens the doors to our past. Children brought up on the King James Version can read the literature of the past with an ease other children lack. The, quote, community, unquote, of our day has lost its sense 
of the value of historic celebration of a nation's past. This is in part due to the modern state's evil ways and men shrinking from the old loyalties. The various modern art forms have also often ceased to be means of communication. Expression rather than communication is their motive, and the expression is too often contempt, hatred, envy, and rage. As a result, art, historically one of the great means of communication, is ceasing to communicate. Quote, successful, unquote, and critically approved art is now elitist and increasingly restricted in its audience. To communicate easily and widely, an example to be readily understandable, is regarded as philistinism and bad art. Thus, modern art, by its very criteria, excludes the basic purpose and function of art to communicate. A new school of art drops its style and changes rapidly as soon as it becomes popular, because such a dawning awareness of community is anathema to the artist. Basic to avant-garde, art is a hostility to all real communication with the greater part of the people. Nikana Para's Anti-Poems, 1960, tells the story in its title. Instead of communicating, modern art has become exclusive and esoteric, which is another way of saying that it has ceased to be art. In fact, the esoteric and exclusive character of modern art is a denial of the very meaning of art. Marcel Duchamp was a, quote, artist, unquote, who accepted and promoted this denial. We have a communications problem, and we have a decline of art, because we have a decline in communion, and we have a decline in communion as a relationship, because we have a decline in the centrality of communion as a sacrament. At the heart of the church's life is the celebration of communion, the celebration of the great and central fact of history, the atonement by Jesus Christ. Man, created by God for communion with him and to work under God as his vicegerent over the earth, rebelled against God and sought to be his own God, establishing and determining his own laws and his own ideas of good and evil. Genesis 3, 5 Man's fall meant a broken communion with God. It meant instead that man's communion was now with sin and death and with himself in preference to God. This fallen man sought to create his own form of communion by means of a humanistic world order, a tower of Babel. But the verdict of God and the requirement of his own fallen nature bring that hope to confusion and destruction. Throughout history to the present, men have tried to build their towers of Babel with consistently drastic consequences. Virtually all modern nations are Babels, and they have thus an anciently ordained, predictable future. Fallen man has a communications gap with God, with other men, and with himself. There is no solution to his problem apart from Jesus Christ. The Lord, by his atonement, reestablishes us into communion with the triune God. We have peace with God through Christ, and we therefore have the principle of peace with other men and with ourselves in Christ our Lord. As man grows in grace, he moves from the world of sin and death and the isolation thereof into the world of communion. 
Hell is the consummation of isolation, of every man as his own God and universe, living in total separation from all other men. Heaven, on the other hand, is the consummation of communion and community, of life and peace and perfect communion with God, man, nature, and ourselves. The rite of communion thus celebrates a future perfection, and it is a feeding for the present task of developing that community here and now. Communion thus is, when it is truly communion, a triumphant present and future fact. It declares that we are one body in Christ. This means that we seek to be governed not by our will, but by His. The kingdom we are members of and serve is not of this world, but of the Lord. It is the kingdom of God. We are therefore summoned in communion to die to ourselves, to our old man, and to live in Christ. Quote, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Unquote. Ephesians 4, 24 and 25. We move from the law of our fallen being into the law of God, now written in all our being by His grace. Communion thus celebrates the fact of the growth of new life and new power, the purpose of which is to bring all things into captivity to Christ and their new creation in Him. The goal is summed up in the heavenly proclamation, quote, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord, and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. Unquote. Revelation eleven fifteen. To partake faithfully of the Lord's table is thus to partake of life, growth, power, and victory. It means that we become a part of the great army of God, and our purpose is the conquest of all things for Christ our King. All peoples, cultures, spheres of life and thought and all time must be brought under his dominion. It means also that communion ends the communication's problem. St. Paul says, quote, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Unquote. Romans 10.17 All things were created by the Lord's fiat word, John 1.3, and all things were made to hear and obey that sovereign law word. God's word, therefore, is the word that penetrates to the heart of every man. It is the only word that can get under the skin and into the blood and the bones of unregenerate men. It is the word of power, and the Holy Spirit works with it always. We are plainly told that, quote, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, unquote. Psalms 127.1 Apart from him, there is no communion, community, nor communication. The foundations of our political and economic orders must thus be in his law word. Education apart from him ceases to communicate anything but sin and death, and our statist education today gives abundant evidences of the devastation wrought by humanism. In a society without communion, sin and death are the governing factors in every area of life including the family, the arts, and the sciences. All too many scientists today treat man as an experimental animal, being governed by sin and death. They can produce little else. 
Abortion and homosexuality are fitting symbols for 20th century man and for the century of world wars, drugs, and suicide. Having lost communion, men lose the ability to communicate and finally the will to live. Suicides, personal and cultural, give evidence of the failure and the refusal to communicate with God and man. They are simply the rejection of life because the Lord of life is first of all rejected. I do not here include the, quote, suicides, unquote, of persons given mind-deranging drugs by prescription. These come closer to murder. The modern age is dying because it has no communion. It has abandoned faith in the Lord who alone is life and the source of life, and it has chosen death, Proverbs eight thirty six, rather than life. For us, the living, it is thus most urgently a time for communion, growth, and reconstruction. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalms 118, 24, July 1983 Atonement and Authority Chalcedon Position Paper, number 42 One of the recurring facts of history has been, quote, the revolt of the masses, unquote the intense, unorganized rebellion of peasants, slaves, and serfs against the tyranny of their overlords. In various eras, the tyranny has been very real and very ugly. Basic to this has been a radical contempt for all physical work, for, quote, menial work, unquote, and for all those who are engaged in it. The examples of this from various cultures are legion. To cite but one, from 17th century England, Viscount Conway said, quote, We eat and drink and rise up to play, and this is to live like a gentleman. For what is a gentleman but his pleasure? Unquote. James Barbary, Puritan and Cavalier, The English Civil War, page 37. The Royalists looted with such abandon, even plundering their own friends, that the orders of Puritan leaders, Sir Thomas Fairfax and Oliver Cromwell, that Commonwealth plunderers would be shot, swung sentiment to their side. Among the nobility and the cavaliers, imprudence and improvidence became virtues. When Elizabeth Cavendish, 1527-1608, to widow of Sir William, died, she left to each of her grandsons 2,000 marks to buy land and establish estates. When one prudent youth put his share into land, Sir Charles said contemptuously, quote, If any son of mine put money into land before he was twenty, I'd disinherit him. Unquote. Geoffrey Treese, Portrait of a Cavalier, William Cavendish, First Duke of Newcastle, page 27. To be provident indicated a non-noble and middle-class outlook. This evil outlook was carried into the South by many settlers who sought to be a like aristocracy and had a like contempt for the practical and the provident act. The problem at Jamestown, Virginia, was that too many of the colonists were either, quote, gentlemen, unquote, or would-be gentlemen, people who, quote, never did know what a day's work was, unquote, according to Captain John Smith. As a result, they expected to get rich without working. 
trouble was thus inevitable and slavery, quote, answered, unquote, their social problem some years later. Edmund S. Morgan, quote, the labor problem at Jamestown, 1607 through 1618, unquote. In American Historical Review, Volume 76, Number 3, June 1971, pages 597 and 606. Meanwhile, in Jamestown, the results were, quote, idleness and hunger, unquote. This element in the South believed in slavery because it believed in itself as an aristocracy in control of the lower classes. It was marked by pride of blood, pride of place, and a contempt for all menial work and workers, whether black or white. During the war, President Jefferson Davis and his cabinet were treated with disrespect because they were the newly rich, not the old aristocracy. It took the Yankees to make Jefferson Davis popular with their mistreatment of him. Historians fail to appreciate the Baptist social revolution in the South after 1865. My first awareness of this came years ago as a student. A professor from the South, in a passing and extraneous reference to Southern Baptist, treated them as a joke, and he called them, quote, unsouthern, unquote, and, quote, low class, unquote. By this he meant, of course, that they did not represent, quote, the true South, unquote, the old aristocracy. The fact is that power and leadership was passing into new and resented hands in the South, and the older element hated it. The Baptists now defined and led the South, not the older element, whose popularity was now in New York City and its high society. William Stadium, a class by themselves, the untold story of the great Southern families. We have touched only on mild examples of the arrogance of position in order to keep the emphasis on an attitude, not the long history of oppression. The same attitude now prevails among liberals and intellectuals, a new self-appointed nobility and elite. The fact is that all over the world, from pagan antiquity to the communist imperial states of this century, rulers have seen the masses of peoples as they're merely for their use. The Cavaliers bewailed the death of, quote, merry old England, unquote, meaning an England in which the common man existed to please his superiors and to bow and scrape before him. Christopher Hill, in The World Turned Upside Down, 1972, shows us the explosive and radical thinking of the common man, which found expression when the Puritan regime removed censorship. In 1642, Preachers were quoting the battle cry of peasant revolts in the earlier century. Quote, when Adam delved and Eve span, who was then the gentleman? Unquote. In the modern age, revolutions in the name of the common man, but led by others usually, began to succeed. No more than in earlier revolutions such as the Mazdakite triumph of the 5th century A.D. were the results good. They were, in fact, more tyrannical and unjust. History gives abundant illustrations of the fact that no class has ever ruled wisely or well. History has, to a considerable degree, been a long trail of tears and a bloody tale of exploitation. 
Each class, in turn, has seen itself as the locale of wisdom and authority and manifested with clarity the fact of total depravity. In example, the infection of sin in every aspect of man's being. Isaiah's judgment stands vindicated, quote, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of, unquote, or to be valued, Isaiah 2, 22. Whatever is class or pride of birth and place, man is a sinner, a fallen and depraved creature who is at war with God, with truth, and with reality. At the core of his life is a lie, his belief that he is his own God, able to determine and to establish good and evil for himself. Genesis 3, 5 The political, economical, social, and religious orders created by such a man reflect his nature and evil. History cannot escape from this necessary connection between a man's moral nature and his life and society. Every effort by men to devise a social order which will negate this fact has been a failure. Man cannot change himself from an evil to a good man, nor can he give to his social order a character he has not. This is the reason why the atonement is not only a religious but a political and social fact. The atonement restores communion between God and man, and man is recreated by God's sovereign grace. The fact of communion makes possible community. It does not eliminate social problems because redeemed men are by no means fully sanctified men. It does mean that there is now a possibility of a solution. Meanwhile, the problem has grown more complex. As we have noted throughout the centuries, we have had self-appointed elites lording it over other men. And, at the same time, the revolt of enslaved masses. To complicate and aggravate this tension, in the past two centuries, two movements have arisen and made powerful and insistent claims to rulership. On the one hand, we have a new and arrogant elite, the scientific, academic, intellectual establishment, which sees itself as the channel of truth, science, and reason. On the other hand, we have Equalitarianism, which was earlier fostered by the new elite, is still given lip service, but is at the same time a threat. The new elite seeks a disguised but still essentially totalitarian authority. The equalitarian spirit challenges all authority. A few days ago, a public school teacher told me of a disastrous school battle in which she was a trial witness. This Lord's School had eight teachers with administrative credentials, all of whom felt their own ideas would have best governed the school. <clears throat> all of whom felt their own ideas would best govern the school. Some other teachers felt that they too knew better than the principal. As a result, the school became a shambles and education gave way to a power struggle. The situation is a familiar one. The equalitarian impulse moves people to question authority and to demand that their will be done. The elitist authoritarian impulse leads others to using people to advance themselves and to enhance their own power. 
The age-old battle for power thus has a newer and more deadly character. Our Lord called attention to the power struggle and the love of the powerful for exercising authority over men. However, he ordered, quote, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Unquote. Matthew twenty, twenty-five through twenty-eight. The fact of the atonement made Christ the great servant. The great head and Adam of the new humanity made himself a servant using his power and authority to minister to his people in terms of God's covenant, covenant law, and kingdom. Authority in the new creation must be an exercise of grace and service, and so too must be submission. Paul, in stressing this same pattern, says, quote, For we are members one of another, unquote. Ephesians 4.25 The community and communion of Christ's body and kingdom are broken by both those, quote, above, unquote, and, quote, below, unquote, when they insist, quote, my will be done, unquote. All authority is from God and is conditional upon our prior obedience to Him, and all submission must be under God and in terms of our trust in and obedience to Him. The invasion of the Christian community by elitist and equalitarian motives is creating critical problems and is moving the community from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of man. The theme verse of the book of Judges, as stated more than once, is, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. In example, God was not recognized as king. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes, unquote. Judges 21:25. Apart from the Lord, men in authority and under authority will try to do that which is, quote, right, unquote, in their own eyes. The result is anarchy. A biblical doctrine of authority and community does not become a reality by affirmation or by negation. We cannot fight it or gain it by demands. We must live it. When Paul says, quote, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called, unquote, 1 Corinthians seven twenty, he was not advocating passivity, but rather ordering believers away from futile and destructive activity. The kingdom of God comes, not by revolution, but by regeneration, and as regenerated men remake every area of their lives in terms of God's law word. Not only authority, but community and reconstruction come out of the atonement. The modern world seeks community by means of revolution, status legislation, and the appropriation of tax funds. It creates instead a conflict society. Neither revolutionary violence nor legislation can convert vultures into canaries. But it is the essence of humanistic statism to attempt to do so. The atonement restores man into community with God in terms of God's covenant and covenant law. The atonement is a covenant fact. It is the essence of a covenant that both parties bind themselves into a law treaty. Each agrees to be totally faithful to the other 
and to be ready to die in faithfulness to the covenant. Man broke the covenant by his sin and rebellion, but God, who in grace gave man a status in his covenant, and in grace gave man the covenant law, adding the culminating act of grace. God the Son in his incarnation gave his life on the cross to restore man into the covenant, even though for his rebellion man deserved to die. The God-man, Jesus Christ, paid the death penalty for us as very man of very man, and as very God of very God, revealed the amazing grace of our covenant God. At the same time, the pattern of covenant authority was set forth by the Son. It was manifested practically and typically by the Son in the foot-washing episode which followed the covenant supper, John 13, 1-16. He declared, quote, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you, unquote. John thirteen fifteen. Too often, however, modern authority is, quote, Gentile, unquote, and lordly, humanistic, and non-Christian. Similarly, those in more subordinate positions are rebellious, proud, and critical. Both pay lip service to Christ and actual service to their own evil being. Both see the mote in the other's eye, but not the beam in their own eye. Our Lord has a summary judgment concerning all such people. Quote, Thou hypocrite! Unquote. Matthew 7, 1-5 The world daily moves deeper into revolution and tyranny. This is the destiny of an arrogant people. The only alternative is Jesus Christ, His atonement, and the authority which flows from that fact. August 1983 Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Love.
of his wrath. Tell the world of his love. Tell the world how Jesus Christ has set you free. Set you free. Tell the 